Welcome to the session. This is the Blueprint Soccer Podcast, and I'm your host, Clint. If you find this podcast valuable, please share it with your teammates, friends, and family. Enjoy. And we are live on this episode of the podcast. We are joined by former New York Gatorade Player of the Year, St. John's University alumni, former Vancouver Whitecaps defender, and currently with New York Red Bull, Tim Parker. Tim, thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast. I appreciate it, my man. Yeah, of course. I want to get us started with uh, this interview I came across from Carl Robinson, uh, your former coach of Vancouver Whitecaps. Um, And he was asked, based on which players he's worked with, uh, who's had the best mentality? And he mentioned you. And it's one of those words that seems to be thrown around pretty often on this podcast. Um, And I think it's good to get us started with this because it can tie in your background and and where your mentality came from and and kind of what it means to you because players uh, hear that word, you know, having the right mentality, but don't really understand, you know, what it means. So you want to talk a little bit about what mentality means to you and then we can run through through your background and I think that's pretty high praise from from Carl based on you know who he's been around and and his experience in the game yeah yeah I think that's uh it's it's a really good compliment to receive but I think uh going back to it I think mentality to me it's it's one of those things that like you you always want to be someone that's a positive a positive energy to work with right so like whenever I whether it's soccer, no matter what I'm doing, I want to make sure that like whoever I'm with, I'm giving off like a positive vibe or a positive energy. And especially in soccer, it's not only being positive and wanting to do things that make guys around you better, but uh, like stretching yourself and making yourself better as well. So I think, especially during my time in Vancouver, when I was with Carl Robinson, um, I was a younger player who was really eager to learn, um, like really wanted to like stay after, do extra make sure that I was putting myself in the best shoes and stuff to move forward in my career. And I think obviously he applauded that and kind of at like, didn't ask me to do it, but he applauded that. So then obviously I knew that was the kind of standard that I had set for myself in terms of mentality and work rate. And those are the kind of things that I wanted to do every day to kind of make myself get better. Um, when obviously you get a compliment like that, that someone gives you a good mentality aspect, whether that's you're playing 90 minutes every weekend or you're not playing, but you're still there doing the work that you need to do to get done to obviously have the coaches kind of notice you. And um, obviously that's kind of the case of uh, what my mentality was like when I was in Vancouver for that time. You uh, let's run this back. I'll give the the listeners some, some insight and we can touch on each piece, but growing up in New York, being in that New York, New Jersey metropolitan area, you're around a lot of talented players um, I think it's one of the best environments in this country to be in based on just the, the competitive aspect and, and the diversity of players and, and the demands and, and how how high the level is. And then you go into St. John's where you work with Dave Mazur and, and how competitive he is and how much experience he has and, and some of the demands and, and we can, can have a joke and laugh about the, the fitness and some of the things that he puts on in preseason. But um 
it doesn't seem like you just established this, you know, when you were at Vancouver. I feel like it had to come from before, you know, because as a pro, you have to, you get to become a pro based on, I feel like, your mentality. I didn't experience that. You can speak on that behalf better, but it seems like it would have to be, I guess, built up earlier than than your time at Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I think obviously that was my kind of mentality as a pro, and obviously I touched on a little bit of what Carl said. But um, growing up, I'd agree with you. You know, I think the New Jersey, New York, Long Island area, it's an incredible area to grow up playing soccer because you have so many different, like you said, it's so diverse. There's so many different clubs. There's so many different good clubs, I'd say, that you can play for growing up. And for me, um, I, I kind of, I, I guess I always kind of played with like a little bit of chip on my shoulder, you know, because I never played for like an academy team. Um, I never was on like, um, you know, one of these developmental academy places. I was never sure. in a big club like in Albertson or in my time, there was like Albertson and Gachi when I was growing up on Long Island. And I never played for either of those teams until, until I was a senior in high school where my club team eventually, uh, got disbanded because some guys went off to college so we had to combine mm. but I think it was just that that idea that my mentality drove from my dad being my coach when I was a kid of just like doing the right thing him always being on my back about like leading by example doing the right thing driving others to be better and then obviously once my dad was able to step back and not be a coach anymore this is obviously when I'm like 10, 12 years old, right? So then obviously we finally find a soccer coach that's like soccer driven, a trainer. That's like the age when you get like a soccer trainer when I was growing up and we get this coach and you know, he can tell that I, that obviously my dad was running the team. So guys looked up to me because my dad ran the team and then I kind of filled that like leadership void and he kind of demanded that out of me like right away. And then he was my coach up until I was 18 until I left for college. So Mm -hmm. in his eyes, it was like, he was like a big Manchester United fan, huge Manchester United fan. And he would tell me to watch certain games, certain players, certain this and that. And I always found it funny because the reason why I bring up he's a Manchester United fan is the player he told me to watch is John Terry, <laughs> who's obviously, yeah. he was the Chelsea captain growing up, like England captain. And I obviously love John Terry as a player, but he showed by cow his mentality, his leadership, everything he did drove the guys around him to obviously not just not be better players or not necessarily be better players but to be be to be more accountable to be held to certain standards that like if this is what i'm going to be willing to do like you guys all should have to be willing to do it too and i think that was like where i kind of started it and then obviously that my club coach growing up kind of drilled that into me drilled that into me and then as my career kind of got better i still played i played for my town team from when i was like two years old until i was legit 17 yeah until i went until that club disbanded and granted my my town team we were good you know we were good we had guys from all over long island that obviously came over and played for my team we went to nationals like two or three times um probably beat red bull a couple times but and then uh you know and then we uh we ended up going to albertson and that's when academy kind of became a real thing was when we were like 16, 17, 18 years old, especially right. for us that were born in the early 90s. So um, I think from there, obviously, I had schools kind of 
picking on schools to go to and because I played for a smaller club I wasn't in the academies um I wanted to go to I wanted to go to bigger schools right mm-hmm. I wanted to go to a big time school my dream school was Notre Dame Notre Dame told me I wasn't good enough and I was like oh all right cool <laughs> I was like all right cool no problem you know like for me I was like all right fighting Irish easy I fit in no problem <laughs> and uh didn't work out so then I'm like okay I'm going to look around. I'm going to look around at other Big East schools. And then um, St. John's obviously reached out. And being close to home, I was like, okay, like, yeah. Like, the idea of being close to home, it, it, it does rise interest because my dad's been so involved in me growing up. And then I do a couple research. St. John's has a crazy good pedigree of being good, being competitive, producing professional center backs and yeah. professional defenders in general. Um, so I end up committing to St. John's but like I said like I had not necessarily bigger aspirations than St. John's but I had bigger named schools mm-hmm. on my like on my radar so I was kind of underlooked as like a recruit even and I ended up going to St. John's and proving my like I think anyone that knows St. John's that's our age knows knows the ins and outs of how hard it is to do well there Yeah, you know it is a it is literally a mental battle between you and yourself and coach Mazur as strict and as like I think he is so smart soccer wise he tests he he tests the battle with you mentally and if you can make it past his mental little warfare you're going to do really well there and you're going to have either a good like a good collegiate career or he's going to be able to get you into the professional level because you're able to test his like mental warfare and for me, obviously, looking back on my time there, um, I thought it was amazing. You know, I mean, you you go there and people say it all the time, right? Like St. John's track team, because yeah. we were, essentially. You know, we ran a lot. Um, a lot of what he does with the ball or without the ball is, it's somewhat crazy. It almost kind of resembles a little bit of what Red Bull is. You know, it's a little chaotic. It's a lot of running. It's a lot, it's a lot on the demand. And when you're used to a certain style, things are always like tough to kind of wrap your head around it. So when I get to St. John's, I hear this three mile in like 17 minutes and 30 seconds. And when you first hear it, you're like, okay, like it doesn't seem like too bad. And then you actually try to run it for the first time and you come in nowhere close to the time. Right. You're like, that's not possible. Yeah. Right. Like this can't be possible. Well, I heard it. I heard that time and I was like, get the fuck out of here. There's no chance. You're going to turn me off right there. And I'm sure it does it to a lot of other players, right? So three miles, 17 minutes, 17 and a half minutes is, is track like times, you know, for a lot of, a lot of people. So yeah, go ahead. Easy. Easy. So then obviously my freshman year, I go in there and I don't run the three mile until I get to school. Because I'm like, I don't even want to test it. I'm just going to try to get as fit as I can. And when I get to St. John's, that'll be my first time running it. Because I don't want to. I don't want to run it previously and run like a 20 minute and then be like nervous. I'm too as far. Yeah, right. It's a good so, way to put it. Just chase the first guy in line and and then try and keep up with him when you get to school. Yeah. So then I end up running it that day, and Connor Connor Laid was the senior captain that year. Okay. Yep. So I remember, I think, I'm pretty sure the seniors run first, and then the newcomers run. Oh, so you don't even all even run more together. Of a, yeah. Which is, 
Yeah, which is even more of a mental warfare. Huh. Because then the coach literally sets you up to see the guys that have done it before struggle. Yeah. And then you're supposed to go and run it. Yeah. Wow, I didn't even know and that. I remember Con- Jeez. And I remember Connor came in at like, I don't know, like 18-something, 18, 18-25, something like that. And I remember my freshman year, I beat him by like a couple of seconds. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, all right, like, I did what the captain did. Because tracing back, that's like the my, that's my mentality thing. Like the captain sets the standard. Like that's the guy you want to be around. Like, right. What his level is might not be fitness standard good enough, but it's clearly leadership level good enough here. Mm-hmm. So I remember beating Connor by a couple of seconds, <laughs> and uh, Connor ended up being the cutoff for uh-huh. like if you could play with the ball or if you had to keep running. Yeah. For the next couple of days at St. John. So I was like lucky as anything because I think I was I was one of the couple like of got newcomers that ended up getting to play with the ball while some of these other guys had to still do seven AM runs before training and then they'd sit off on the side and just watch them. Jeez. Until coach deemed they were fit enough to train. And immediately you could see that that turns people off, like right away. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh I'm coming to, I'm coming to college soccer to play, not to run. Yeah. But it was like it was like I said, it's a warfare for him to kind of get you in, in involved in that kind of a, a situation where maybe you were like the top recruit at this school, but if you didn't come in fit enough, you didn't earn the respect of everyone else who did come in fit enough. What What are your thoughts on that that time? Like, so if you got anything over whatever, let's call what's the time? Like, if you got anything over a certain time and didn't meet that expectation, did you actually not get to play? I don't want to like unveil any of Mazer's secrets where like oh yeah we can come in and we just have to get like 830 even though he says like or sorry 1830 instead of 1730 you know was there an actual cutoff because there flat out may be guys that can't get to 1730 like I know schools and coaches that say two miles in 12 minutes no matter what like if you don't meet the two miles in 12 minutes you're not playing you're not getting you're not getting your uniform you're not you're not getting on the ball, like none of that. You'll you'll be cut. Right, yeah. So I'd say there was never really a number mm-hmm. that like was okay in Mazer's mind. It was kind of like he would determine, like, because he wa- he's standing there and watches you. So he'd determine who's like really running and who looks fit, fit enough to like play to the point where like they're done with the three mile and then they're not like throwing up. Because right. if you're done with the three mile and then you start throwing up, you're not really fit enough. You just like were running and were lucky enough that your legs didn't give out while you were running it. Sure. But if you were able to run the three mile and then like, you know, gather yourself and you looked like good, then that was okay. So like, first of all, if you went to any of those schools that were like the two mile and 12 minutes, like that's a breeze at St. John's. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> but, um, uh, that's what our goalies had to do. Yeah. That's what our goalies had to do. But, um, yeah, I'd say, like, he didn't have, like, a specific number, but he, like, seriously watched people as they ran to make sure, like, who was, you know, just who was in control of their body. Right. He has a lot of experience with that based on judging it. And and granted, like, if we always said the test would have been easier if he had us run on a street. That's right, yeah. If he had us run, like, down, if he had us run down, like, Union term uh, from point A to point B, and it was a three mile race or a three mile just straight run. 
we were like, yo, that would be so much easier mm-hmm. because you have to do 12 laps around a track. Yeah. Yeah. You do like, you do like four laps and you're like, I have eight more laps. <laughs> Well, I think I think you've said it perfectly. Like you've said a couple of things that that are spot on with growing up in the metropolitan area, you play with a chip on your shoulder whether you're super talented or you're not because if you're not one of the talented ones, you got to be tough and, and physically fit and, and physical to show like okay, your your talent on the ball is is like irrelevant, who gives a shit? And then if like you're one of the talented ones, you see that there are other talented players out there, so you're trying to show that you're the most talented one. So playing with your chip on playing with a chip on your shoulder, I think is sums up New York, New Jersey. Um, and then that whole mental warfare thing with with Mazer, I mean, that is really well said, which I think prepares you like he's like you said it weeds ultimately it weeds players out like it goes to show up you can make it through that you can make it through pretty much anything and you're prepared for that that next step like it really puts things in perspective like with the the fitness that you talk about at st john's like have you done anything more challenging with red bull because you tie the two similarities of of how the game is played with the amount of running and the demands physically like is St. John still the hardest physical fitness thing you you've had to do? Because I think, in reality, you, you'll you'll agree with this. I'm pretty sure soccer is a running game. You have to be physically fit. I don't know to the extent that that Mazer, the bar that he sets, is the the proper yeah. approach. But you have to be physically fit, and I think the demands, having those serious demands, more players need that uh, preparedness. And I think we'd have a lot more success with with players here in the U.S. Because I think now a lot of players are cut too much slack, and it's like if you're talented, then you don't have to work hard, kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So like, obviously, um, it's it's kind of a funny like little story, but it, this is before the new Red Bull era of like Jesse Marsh, Chris Armis, like the com- the combination of the high pressing and everything. But when Connor left St. John's and went to Red Bull, he was like one of the fittest guys on Red Bull. Mm-hmm. But Connor was like towards the bottom half of the fittest guys on St. John's. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's that like weird like little scenario. And do I think I think St. John's definitely were like my fittest days. Obviously, I think now I'm more fit soccer wise mm-hmm. in terms of like sprinting and like what I have to do to be good in games and trainings. But when I was at St. John's, the, the fitness tests, the, just the runs that we would go on, like hills and early mornings and like just miles logged, like for sure I did more running there. Yeah, talk about those 7 a.m. runs to describe those because I've heard some different stories like that. So you do the 17, whatever, 30 test and then you if you're claimed unfit you do these 7 a.m runs or or six or five or four i guess depending on what he's feeling on a a given day and then do you have to follow up with another 17 minute and and 30 second run or or just let's describe what the the seven the 7 a.m runs are like yeah so fortunately i never was a part of those 7 a.m runs because i prepared pretty good for the preseason but um, yeah, you know, I think our trainings, we would start around like 7.30 and the guys that were unfit had to be in at 7 and they'd do a, like a half an hour run and then they'd come up and sit and watch training. And 
I'm I'm not just saying this, but some of our like favorite runs would be when we'd get to run off campus and we'd run like a mile off campus to this park that had like just a giant lap around the park Mm -hmm. and it would go uphill downhill you know and on our run to the park everyone would be like vibing and everyone would be like laughing because we're all like coaches running with us our assistant coaches are running with us and we're like jogging pretty slow to the park but then like we get to the park and it's like the gates open up you know, and everyone's like, and then the coaches stop and they have the watch. They have the clipboard and the watch. And it's everyone just like two laps you're supposed to do. Yeah. And those were the times where it was like, man, you just had to like grind through it. Just get it over with. No one cares if you were out late last night. Sure. If you were, <laughs> you know, like no one cares. Just get it over with. Don't complain about it. When we're jogging back to school afterwards, then you complain and then we can laugh at you for whatever decision you decide to make the night before or whatever decision you're going to make that night for treating yourself for sure. completing the run. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think those were the things that like we just love to do like as a team and it sounds so it sounds so sad that like we look forward to some of these runs. But like you're saying like the the runs at St. John's did weed out some players. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Like, I think the year before I got there, St. John's had, like, one of the best recruiting classes that I'd ever seen. Hmm. Because the year before I got there was, like, the 2010 class, who usually committed around 2008, which was when St. John's went to the Final Four. That's right, yeah. So that all of that was all connected. And, like, a couple of guys from Long Island that I know, like Dominic Sarl, uh, Tyler mm-hmm. Arnone, both committed to St. John's. And Tyler Arnone I went to high school with. But Dominic Sarl, who uh, I grew up on Long Island playing against, was like an IMG kid, a U.S. like U-17 World Cup kid who went to St. John's. And then obviously Dom is talented beyond belief, but didn't didn't thrive there because of the, the mental side of things that Demands. went on there. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. That is, it's, it's interesting. You talk about the weeding out and the, it puts things in perspective, like, the the running how how fit connor is relatively speaking right like he's fit and then to be on that bottom or to be at the top and then the bottom half of of a college team and be the top one on a a pro team really puts things into perspective let's what's the most challenging sean's told me about some of the running right with with the new new uh system and and some of the things you need to do does anything even come close and like, how do you prepare for it during the the off season? Man, it's so sad to say. Um, I don't think anything I've done at Red Bull has been like where I've sat there and I've been like, man, like that was that's pushed me to the limits that like St. John's did. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've hit that point yet. Where like I've had a couple of like, and I also think when you run, like when you run as a team, it's always usually somewhat somewhat better than running by yourself sure yeah like um in the off season i actually enjoy running i'd rather go run like outside than run on a treadmill or bike or anything like that just because it's like my own time to kind of get out and do yeah do my thing but um yeah i don't think st john's is really like or i don't think red bull has come close to like pushing that limit that st john's did and um 
I think Van, Van, my time in Vancouver, my, there have been like once or twice where I like came close to that limit. But um, Red Bull, obviously, for how fit we are, how young we are, how energetic and like our style of play, like for the most part, they kind of demand us to be fit. So they don't mm-hmm. force us to get to that level, which yeah. is a, which is obviously something we're not complaining about yet. Yeah, I mean, that's true. You guys are the, arguably one of the, the fittest teams based on the, the running and the style of play you have to be. So um, a little bit more about your college experience and, and the biggest eye-opener from Mazer during that time to prepare you for Vancouver. Because um, would you say going into to college, like – I, we all have have aspirations of, of becoming professional soccer players, but when did it really become a, an eye opener that the opportunity would be realistic? Because I'm sure there were some humbling experiences at St. John's where uh, you maybe got a, a better perspective or understanding, and you needed to to adjust your game or approach to certain uh, things. Uh, warming up, uh, taking care of your body off the field, physical fitness, mental uh, side of things. What was the biggest moment or, or was there a time where you were like, okay, this is what I need to do and I can actually make it in this game to to progress on to the professional level? Yeah, so I think um, that's kind of that's kind of my best part of my like soccer story career is like when I was choosing schools, St. John's was like my choice because they were better soccer wise. Mm -hmm. But my dad wanted me to go to Villanova because they were better academically. And he had friends that had gone there when he was growing up that succeeded in the business world and had gone that route. And then obviously me and him would go back and forth about it. And I was like, dad, look, Villanova's just, they're the bottom of the big East. Like I do not want to go there. Like Mm -hmm. that's not like St. John's is top of the big East. They're not as good academically as a school, but like at least it's close to Manhattan. I can still work in business and I transfer that afterwards. So when I went to St. John's, it wasn't with the idea of like, oh, I'm going to go play there and then come out as a professional soccer player. It was like, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to St. John's. I'm going to like grind, obviously, try to do well, like play as much as I can, like prove my worth and then hopefully get my degree and live and work in New York. And then after my, freshman season going into my freshman year um the Mazer had talked to me about the possibility of me playing right back and like we I kind of fondled back and forth of like do I want to play center back do I want to play right back and then I think in the beginning of the year I played like a couple games at center back a couple games at right back and uh ultimately I ended up playing I ended up playing right back and Connor Laid ended up playing center back which was like the best <laughs> weird combo to look at um, is that but, one of is that one of Mazer's tactical geniuses right there? To be fair, it was it was incredible. It was it was incredible. Looking back on it now, um, it, it it's mind boggling. But yeah, it was actually an amazing idea at the time because um, I didn't know how to play center back at a college level yet. Yeah, right back for me at that time was probably it's better easier. for me to like make mistakes out wide. Um, learned better out there. It gave me a chance to kind of be on the ball more, so I kind of got better on the ball playing out wide. Uh, gave me like a little bit more freedom athletically to kind of get up and down the flank and kind of be in different positions. Um, 
but yeah, it was it was really funny, obviously looking back and seeing Connor in the center back position. But I think that was my thing was when I went there freshman year, I was like, all right, I just gotta soak, I gotta be like a sponge. I just yeah. gotta soak up information. And there were highs and lows. Like there were games where I played, there were games where I didn't play. There and there was a lot of film being broken down. And um, obviously, Mazer being the head coach, Jeff Mateo was our assistant, along with Ben Malou. Mm-hmm. Um, neither Jeff or Ben are still at St. John's, but Jeff, Jeff and Ben, I I was Jeff's kind of recruit to St. John's, or so he claims today. <laughs> now that now that I play professionally, now I was his recruit. That's what nah, Jeff's. I know Jeff. He's got an eye. He knows exactly <laughs> what he's looking for. He he knows what what it takes. So I'll give him that. I'll give him that credit. But, um, and then, uh, so I would do a lot of video with Jeff, you know, I'd do a lot of video on like, not only what I would do in games or trainings, but then like what he would want me to do. So it was, it was a really good, like learning experience that freshman year of kind of learning a, how college soccer worked, you know, like, and we played against some good teams. My freshman year was like when we was when all the big cl- uh, teams were still in the big East. So you still mm-hmm. had, you still had UConn, Louisville, Notre Dame. You know, you still had all these schools still in the Big East back then, Syracuse. Um, that was when the Big East was like, I would say, that, like, I think Big East was better than ACC at that point. No, I would agree. Look the at the teams that, that left, right? Look at all those teams that yeah. transitioned to the ACC. By the way, what's the record against uh, against Notre Dame? Because I'm sure you kept that on the back burner with, uh, <laughs> we, I know we how won, you... We won, in over, we won in overtime. You only played them one. once. We only played them once because the next year we That's split right. up. That's right. All right. There you go. Next year we split up. But I remember playing Notre Dame, and uh, that was the year Dylan Powers was a senior, and I was, and that's when he was like the real deal. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this guy can really play. Because um, I remember that game pretty nice. I mean, obviously, we won in overtime, and in overtime college soccer, it's like golden goal. Yeah. It's like the best moment ever when that ball hits the net and everyone just loses it. You've had a few of those. Don't bring up another one that I know you're waiting to bring up. <laughs> I'm sure you. St- I won't do it. I won't do it. From from 18 to 18, and then getting fouled, and then taking the penalty kick to score the game winner. That's it. That I won't big, even say the team. <laughs> big time flop. Big time. Some people are saying the dive. You know. Sure, you have that on video somewhere. Um, yeah, that's right. The Big East was the that's the conference, and to have that competitiveness and to see that level probably did you a lot of good to see, like to be in that environment day in and day out week in and week out on the the game day so um yeah that's that's right that was a hell of a conference that a lot of players and teams came came out from that should yeah. have never changed should have never changed i mean a lot of good a lot of good teams a lot of good teams like you talk about like looking back on like ncaa tournaments and stuff a lot of good teams a lot of good players and then, yeah, I think just the idea of like once my freshman season kind of wrapped up and came to an end, that's when I kind of sat down with Jeff and Mazer and Ben, and they were like, Tim, look, like we want to put you on a like an accelerated program here to like graduate academically. This way, you're done your senior fall. Like right after your senior fall, you you basically have all the credits you need to graduate. And then we want like obviously you to like think about pursuing a professional career. So for me, I was like, all right, like, if you guys think, like, that's a possibility and, like, you're not just trying to, like, get me out of here a semester early or Mm -hmm. something like that, I was like, of course, like, I want to pursue that. Like, I think you guys giving me that, like, almost kind of a blessing to kind of 
push myself both athletically and academically, then I trust you guys. And that's kind of, that's kind of why you go to a school, right? Like you trust those guys to kind of help you make decisions and push you and push you along the right path. So I trusted those guys obviously to make that decision for me and then sat down with academic advisors and make that decision because I knew first off that my mom and dad wouldn't have been happy if I would have left without my degree. Mm -hmm. So in order to kind of go down that path and have the coaches go down that path with me and commit to that path was the best part about it. I'm guessing that you were never told anything like this prior to to college, right? Like we've said uh, earlier in this episode that a lot of players, most players in, in youth soccer and youth sports have the aspirations of going pro, but after that conversation, that's when it really became a reality or had some people maybe indicated that to you throughout your time in high school, maybe heading into college where it's like, hey, look, you could could be a pro or, you know, I guess the, the biggest thing is without college, it doesn't seem like this where you're at today was really a, a reality. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd, I'd say for sure. You know, I think looking back on like, of course, like my, my club coach obviously was like, Tim, like I want you to play professionally. Like right, I want yeah. you to play professionally. Yeah. But he didn't have like a path for me to follow, mm-hmm. you know? So he didn't have like this like guideline of like, oh, you can go here and then here and then here. Sure. It was like, no, you go to college and then literally it's kind of just like a handoff. Like I'm handing you off to the college that like we trust and like hopefully they'll make the right decision. Because mm-hmm. when I was in high school, I mean, throwback whatever, 10 years now, but I almost committed to play lacrosse somewhere before I committed to play soccer somewhere just because of the fact that lacrosse recruiting happened earlier. Yeah. So I almost decided to play lacrosse in college instead of soccer just because of the fact that like schools were talking to me and I felt like really like, you know, like scholarship money and then all that kind of stuff gets thrown in your face and you're like, man, like maybe I should just play lacrosse if it's like especially being on Long Island where it's such like a hotbed area for lacrosse. I was like, maybe that should be the route that I take and I go to a different school and do that. But I had to see what soccer had to offer because soccer was like my real, like that was my sport. You know, Mm -hmm. lacrosse was like the thing I played with my friends and like I enjoyed lacrosse a lot, but it wasn't my like favorite thing to do soccer. So I had to wait and sit on those opportunities to see what soccer was going to provide. Anything else in college worth noting where things really, you know, your senior year where things really took off then a little bit more and, and I'm sure agents started to reach out and, and Mazer was uh, playing agent a little bit too and, and Jeff, I mean, you got good insight there with Jeff being a, a former pro and, and having friends throughout the league and that experience. Um, so what was senior year like leading up to, to the draft and, and that experience and how you kept a, a level head throughout all of it? Because, you know, things are there are so many highs and lows in college soccer where things could be going really well. And then you have a drought and then who knows, potentially falls apart. Like talk through senior yeah. year and that perspective and experience leading up to the draft. Yeah, I'd say like so many highs and lows is even I touch back on my like junior year, like we my junior year, we were like. Like, in the top RPI, I want to say we were in top 20 RPI. Like, we were very good my junior year. And then my, like, my coach obviously gave me a lot of praise for my junior year because he thought, like, I was very good. I felt that was very good. Um, I had a little opportunity to leave after my junior year, but I didn't. I never even thought twice about leaving. Um, I wanted to stay and come back to my senior year. 
Why didn't you think twice? Sorry, why didn't you think twice about that? What was what was the potential opportunity? What was there to consider or not even worth considering? So the potential opportunity was to play with the Cosmos on Long Island. Okay. Who at at that time I had been training with like over the summers. Um, sure. Obviously, Gio Savarisi was the coach with Aleko Eskandarian, mm-hmm. Jersey guy. Yeah. Um, and I had the opportunity to go, but for me, I was like, man, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I, a, I want to go in the MLS. B, or I was a, I was like, if I want to go, I want to go to the MLS. B, I want to graduate anyway. I was like, at that point, I was like, twelve months aren't going to kill me. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's like the least of my worries. Like, my mom and dad would probably kill me if I didn't graduate. So, for mm-hmm. me, that at that point in time, that was most important for me. So I ended up staying. And my senior year, we were terrible. We were absolutely terrible. We, I think, won like four or five games. It was like the first year Mazer hadn't made like the Big East tournament in his like 25-year tenure at St. John's. And I mean, a mental, absolute roller coaster of a year. You know, because for me, I come out of my junior year playing so well, us being so good, to a bunch of guys leaving after that year to either that either graduated or transferred or something else after that year. So that we had a bunch of new guys. Um, maybe not, maybe that weren't as just a bunch of young guys. Uh, we had young guys and then a bunch of guys that didn't know the system and we didn't have that many older guys anymore that could help like culture this kind of younger it's a group. Big, that's a big thing, having older guys, which I'm sure we can get to later in this episode because I think that is one of the biggest pieces for, for a team, having experienced guys and guys that know the ropes and the system and can help the younger guys along. So go ahead. Sorry to cut you off there. Exactly. No, but yeah, you're right. Like, So I ended up losing. I lost the guy that I played center back next to. I lost like my two center mids, one of our wingers and one of our forwards, and that's like and go and our starting goalie for my junior year. So going into my senior year, that's kind of like a spine of a team that you're losing. Mm-hmm. So two of them end up transferring. One of them ends up leaving, but we end up going, we go into my senior year and we're bad. We're, I, like I said, we won like four games. We don't make any tournaments. We don't have anything for me to like look back on and be like, <clears throat> like super proud of my senior year, except for, I, I, I can't even remember if we beat uh, Georgetown that year or not, but, I'm just going to say we did just to, just to say it. Yeah. But, I think you did. Um, I think you did actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, cause those, we, no serious. Those are how those seasons go, right? Like it's terrible, but then you win that one game and it's like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. The season wasn't that, that bad. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So then obviously at the end of your senior year, you're looking for like, you're hoping to be involved in the NFL, the MLS combine. I know right? you're so, a big, I know you're a big NFL guy. Don't worry big NFL combine guy. <laughs> but so then obviously you're looking forward to being a part of the MLS combine. And so then I finally find out that I'm going to get invited to the MLS combine. And I trained like every single day with our GA at the time who was, uh, this like older, not older. I would say he's, he's probably like 10 years older than me, but he was an English center back. Mm-hmm. And I related to him really well because of the fact that like, my style, I think, perfectly resembles like kind of like an English center back, like sure. old school, like strong, tough, brute, like does his job and passes it on, you know, just like pushes his stuff and does his job and gets 
gets it on the, off of his plate and on to the next guy. Yeah. So I worked out with this guy a lot because he was very involved in like the, the strength and the agility side of everything. So I, I worked almost every day on with him with the ball, without the ball, like footwork, running, heading, like anything that I could do to like prepare myself as best as I could for the, for the combine. So and I, uh, we end up going down to the combine. Um, or actually, I guess I'll touch on the agent side of things. So as I'm getting prepared for the combine, Mazer obviously and Jeff and Ben all have a bunch of agents kind of calling to see like what my situation is, mm-hmm. if I can meet with them or not. And then, so I end up meeting with about like five or six guys, all who basically Mazer had to approve of. Right. You know, Cause you don't, you don't get into Mazer's office without the approval of, nope. of the doctor, you know? So, um, I end up meeting with a couple of guys. I want my dad there because my dad's played like such a big role in everything. So I think he should obviously have final judgment on who I trust. Sure. Therefore go forward with. So we meet with a bunch of different guys and <laughs> there's this one agent that won't come to the St. John's campus. No way. He's like, I'm not coming in. I'm not coming into Mazer's office. He's like, and I'll, believe it or not, this is the guy I end up signing with. <laughs> so he won't come. He won't come to Mazer's office, but he'll meet us a hundred yards away at an Italian restaurant right off of campus. Sure. For some reason, he thinks he's better than going into a college coach's office. So I end up meeting him and just kind of get the vibe that he's uh, that he's strictly business. Yeah. And so his name's Ron Waxman. Yeah. Sure. I end up signing with him. And I get them. I get the vibe from him that he's strictly business, like no nonsense. He well, he kind of yeah, plays, plays his lines. Yeah, a little back background, right? Brad, both Bob Bradley and Michael Bradley's agent as well, um, along yes. with others. So yeah. very experienced. Just to put that into perspective for the listeners, so they they have a, a understanding as well. So yeah, Michael Bradley and Bob Bradley's yeah. agent to this day. So yeah. some so Ron, experience, Ron just Ron a little bit. In- yeah, so he's been in. He's been in New. He's a New York-based guy, a New York agent. He's been with the MLS since uh, since the MLS was founded, and he was a lawyer previously. But then once soccer came around, he saw the opportunity and jumped on it. And like you said, he uh, he represents Michael Bradley, Bob Bradley. He represents a bunch of coaches um, around the league. He represents a bunch of like players, obviously as well. Um, so for me, when I had the opportunity to kind of sign with him and meet with him, I could tell that he was a business guy and that he wanted. To kind of be my agent but that not that it was like oh i'm gonna be your agent and this is what we're in like we're gonna go i guess this kind of way mm-hmm. you know he like was my agent he was like no we're gonna like we're gonna do the damn thing like like what we're gonna get you a senior deal we're gonna do this we're gonna do that and then we're gonna work our way up this chart and i was like all right you know i, I kind of like that this guy's like talking business not like not just like trying to be like a, a buddy or a friend sure. at that point yeah so um, I ended up signing with him, and granted, I ended up going down to the combine. <clears throat> and usually, when you go down to the MLS combine, you have interviews scheduled or something like that with like teams that are interested in you based on your college days and whatever. So I end up having like two interviews scheduled <laughs> at the beginning of the combine. <laughs> and it's and you know you you realize one thing very quickly is that two teams usually at every combine have an interview scheduled with every single player right yeah yeah so it was like columbus and salt lake and i was like 
oh, cool, like, these guys have interviews. And then you'd go down there and you'd be like, yo, do you guys have interviews with this team? And they'd be like, yeah. And then you'd find out. It's the same ones. Like, oh, those are the two that are just interviewing everyone. <laughs> so true. So I end up, but then my first day, we end up doing, like, physical testing. And, uh, like, the, the sprint, the shuttle, the jump, a bunch of those kind of things. And I end up testing, like, very well. <clears throat> Which, um, which obviously I was very happy about because I like worked on some of that stuff in the off season. And then the games roll around, and uh, I play really well on the two, first two game days, and I was stoked. I was so stoked because then like interviews started coming like crazy. Like mm-hmm. to interview, I think after those first like two games, I had interviews like seventeen teams out of like the twenty something teams in the league at that point. So I was like, okay, like clearly I'm doing something right. If I start off with two that like everyone had, and now I have a bunch more. Isn't that and, crazy uh, though? I mean, a lot has changed now over the last few years, but when, when we were coming out of school and I've heard stories, like the fact that there were teams interviewing or, or looking to interview after a performance or two performances down at the combine, rather than scouting you your whole college career and having a better idea of who you were, I think is insane. But now, I, from my understanding and from what I've seen, there's a lot better, there's a much better job of, of player scouting and recruiting where going into the combine, it's just more of a you know happy hour event for these teams where they know what's going on, they have what they need lined up, and uh, it's just like a communal meeting place for, for everybody. But yeah, when you think about that, that's crazy that without those performances, who knows what would have happened? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think you could look back on like those combines as like some guys that played on really good teams sometimes went to the combine and like didn't even go, like didn't even play. Right. Because they didn't want to hurt their stock versus gain their stock. And I was one of those guys where I was like, dude, we won four games this year. Like I have nothing to lose. Yeah. (laughs) So I went into it with like, got to play well, show, show people that like I'm still a good player, even though we like sucked this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then my like things went really well. End up interviewing with a bunch of different teams, and day three comes, and my agent's like, "You're not even gonna play. Like, I don't even want you to play day three. Like, we're not gonna do it." Because <laughs> he had so much interest now that now he wanted to like leverage the league and be like, "Oh, sure. we want a senior deal instead of this and that." And I was like, "I'm like, look, Ron, I'm in no position to start leveraging anybody over here." <laughs> I was like, let me just go out there and play again because I'm already down here. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to be the, one of the guys that sits out. I was like, let me just go play and let me just get it over. Like, then we can talk. Then we can talk to whoever we want. Wow. And uh, so I end up playing. Yeah, literally the first little bit of advice my agent gives me, I tell him to shut up and I just go yeah. play anyway. <laughs> but that is when amazing. I go play, everything goes well. Like the games go well. Interviews with coaches, it all goes well. Um. You know, and you you interview with a bunch of different people, and it's cool. I think that's a really cool experience to interview with all these teams and all these coaches that you know nothing about. Sure. Because I'll be, I'll, I was so blatantly honest with guys. They were like, like, oh, do you watch most much MLS? And I was like, no. Like, <laughs> I got NFL sorry, Sunday ticket. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. do you, are you guys on Red Zone? Like, can I yeah. see the goals pop up? Every- yeah every five minutes but so 
they, they was that a turnoff at all? Like, because I know that's a common question. Like, do you watch a league? Like, what what do you know about us? The style of play? Like, we're I'm sure teams were turned off about that as well. So luckily, the only teams that asked me those kind of questions were the West Coast teams. Okay. So I was able to just be like, oh, Time you difference. know, you guys usually play later. Yeah. So like, <laughs> no, I don't I don't know too much. And it was a great when Vancouver asked because I was just like, I was like, no, like, I, to be honest, I just don't know anything about Canada. So like, yeah, <laughs> I just don't know much about you guys. <laughs> Jeez. You know, and and uh, it kind of the interview with Vancouver went great. And uh, later on, I find out like that they did a little bit of scouting and there was a little bit of research on me. But the reason why they picked me was because, uh, well, this is what they say. I hope it's a joke. But because the defensive coach at the time, Martin Purdy, who's actually now at Manchester United. Oh, wow. Uh, he goes, he goes, he goes, yeah, Tim, you were just one of the only center backs that wore red, that wore black boots. So we were just like, oh, that's our guy. Could be like, true. You guys, I was like, I was like, you guys can't be serious. I was like, I definitely wear majority black boots, but that can't be the only reason. And they're like, no, 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 we're just kidding. And I was like, so what is it? Are, are you kidding? <laughs> so, so but, did they give you another one? Did they give you another reason? No, no. Oh, then they geez. all just laugh and walk away. So, so you get drafted to Vancouver. It's one of probably the most circled places on your map of, of places you want to be. Um, I could not imagine that transition, especially if you're not part of that uh, that part of uh, uh, North American region or, or Canada. It's got to be a tough transition. But I think about what you talked about earlier in the episode with the the mental warfare from from Coach Mazer and, and some of the demands. How did you? What was that transition like? Because you really established yourself there. I think you played more games each season, 18 games, something like that, 28, and then like the leading minutes guy by your third year. Um, so how much did, did Mazer prepare you? And was there anything more challenging than, than Mazer put you through? Because that's one of the things that I try to do with players I work with is really push their buttons and challenge them. So when they do get to that next level, whatever that is, college, maybe pro, they are well prepared and, and nothing that, that I've put in front of them is is more than they are going to receive. Right. So I think the, the best part about Vancouver was it was like, it was a running joke between me and my St. John's teammates my senior year of like, oh, Tim, like, you think you're going to go play professionally? Like, where's one place you wouldn't want to go? And I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, like Vancouver. <laughs> I was like, it's like, it's so far. It's up in Canada. It's probably cold over there. I was like, yeah. I don't want to go there. No way. And of course, just like God's plan, right? Like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Pick me up. Drop me all the way over there. First round but, draft um, pick to Vancouver. <laughs> don't even, pick me in the first on, round. <laughs> I remember my dad. I'm sitting next to my dad and like, I get picked. I come back, see my dad. And my dad's already looking up. He goes, do you know how far that is? He goes, that's legit the furthest place you could have gone. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, a, I'm like, dad, not now. Yeah. Like, let me live in the moment. Like, right. I'm pumped. Like, get out of here. So uh, that ends up happening. Obviously, I'm thrilled to go to Vancouver. Like, the idea of it, I'm stoked about, right? Like, my first professional contract. Um, a city I've never been to. I've heard amazing things about from the Vancouver 
circle that I've been introduced to, like the mm-hmm. GM, the coaches, um, haven't met any players, obviously, but just like the media and like the people around the club, um, all say amazing things about the city. And I finally, then I fly out to Vancouver probably a week later with my whole life packed up, right? Like whatever I can fit in two or three suitcases, I move out there. And for those people that don't know much about the Northwest part of the States and Canada Mm -hmm. is that if you're in Vancouver or Seattle or Portland from like January to like May, it is gray and it rains almost every single day, you know? And it sounds like such a, like a prima donna thing, but my, my biggest thing was like, at least if you're in New York and it's cold, you might see the sun. Yeah. For most of the part of Vancouver, I didn't see the sun for like months. And I was like, man, this place sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, because I couldn't do anything. I didn't have like a car out there. I didn't have a bunch of things out there that I kind of needed to kind of get to know the area. Sure. I wasn't like super settled in. You know, we were going through preseason. We were bouncing around. Um, until I finally really got settled in a couple months later is when everything kind of started to get better for me. But when I first got out to Vancouver, I think what you're saying is like when you get to college, right? It's like that freshman being in a senior locker room Mm -hmm. feel. So when I first got to Vancouver, I felt the same way. Like of like, all right, I got to do this all over again. I got to prove myself. I got to find like a couple of people that I got to prove myself to. And then obviously just roll with it, you know, like do the dirty work, like make it hard, like make it hard on other people. And I think that's what went a longer way for me there is that right away I was doing those things immediately rather than thinking like, oh, I was a, I'm a first round draft pick. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. Like I was like, no, man, I'm in a, I'm in a foreign land, which is fun because it actually is foreign because it's Canada. And I'm like, Oh, I'm in a foreign land. I don't know anyone out here. Um, the coaching staff took a chance on me, like, and they, before that year, I think they made the playoffs and they were like, you know, like kind of good, kind of not good. But like, I was like, you know what? I have a chance out here. Like, mm-hmm. I have a chance out here to be like, to leave a marker to prove these guys that like, I can do it. Like, so that that was huge for me to obviously kind of step in and do those kind of things. And obviously, like, there's a couple of mentors like I had along the way out there that like really made my transition out there easy. And I think that was one of the biggest parts of my my transition out there. And everyone knows, like, I I played with Kendall for like two years. And when I see Kendall today, Kendall Lawson today, who plays on Cincinnati, if I see him, I give him like the biggest hug because he's my boy and like I I do love that guy but my mentor was the guy that played next to Kendall who kind of was on his way I don't want to say on his way out but he signed in Vancouver the year they drafted me but he was like 33 34 years old mm-hmm. Tom okay. so when they drafted him I think I earned the respect of Pa early on in preseason for just being like a no-nonsense defender you know like I know what I'm good at. Like, I'm just going to defend, be strong, like block shots, pass the ball, the next guy. And that's my job. And he kind of saw that and he kind of took me under his wing and he's like, look, like if I'm going to be here and I'm going to be playing and I'm supposed to like leave the reins for you, he's like, 
you have to earn this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not just going to give it to you. Like, you better, like, show me every day that you're working hard and you're going to get better at these certain things. But when I do knock on wood, like, get hurt or when I do need time away, that I'm not worried about putting you out there and sure. I can tell the coach that, like, I have faith in you. So he was obviously huge for me. And uh, granted, like, just like I did in Vancouver where I would do a lot of video with, like, the coaches, a lot of video I did with, like, our defensive coach, Martin Purdy, and then Pa just sitting right over my shoulder, like, don't you know, screw like this watching up. me, like, eagle eyes, like, watching over my shoulder. And he goes, and Pa, I don't know if you know Pa very well, but he's got a very strong, like, he's from Gambia, so he's yeah. got a very strong Gambian accent. And, uh, you know, he would just be like, that's not good. And I'd be like, I, you know, I'm just like, I don't even look at him. I'm just like, yeah, oh, you're right. Yeah, that's not good. For, for the yeah. listeners, you'll have to look him up on YouTube and take a, a peek at some of his highlights from, from the league. You, you touch on a lot of things. But first, I think we finally clarified how to describe the northeast part of the, the region, which I didn't realize how hard it's to describe Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver, that part of, it's not the country because it's two different ones, that part of the continent, <laughs> which I think we finally clarified because I could not figure out a way to word that. And then um, uh, was, how much of a role did, like, you talk about it, the the gray sc- skies, the, the gloominess of the city, those early months of the year, maybe help you transition where you had none of these distractions of being in like a beautiful city like LA or, or New York, or I mean, uh, now Miami, right? Like you can have all these distractions where I was like, shit, this, I'm not going out. There's no point to go out. This place is not really exciting. I'll just go to training. I'll learn the ropes and I'll adjust. And I think what you, you mentioned with, with Pa, like no nonsense defender, you realize that you're a similar player or he realized that you were a similar player to him and helped you with that transition where it wasn't like you had to go in there and and pretend to be somebody or not to to establish yourself like i think that's such a misconception with players like i have to do i have to go above and beyond who i am to to prove myself where it's like no just be who you are do all the things you're good at all the time consistently even if it's a little 10 yard pass out of the back to the six if you're a center back complete that pass every time don't try and play diagonal balls like you're a 10 and squeeze it into a a keyhole and and try to prove yourself like i think you touch on so many points there but let's let's go back real quick here with the 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 city and that environment like limiting your distractions and what that what you think that impact did maybe subconsciously now that you think about it yeah, I mean, I think I think initially it was like very, it was very sad. Mm-hmm. You know, it was sad because I didn't know what to do. I couldn't like, like even if I wanted to go out to dinner, I didn't know where to go or I didn't know how to like reach out to people besides like my one teammate at the time who was Spencer Ritchie, who still, who still plays for FC Cincinnati. It was just me and him and we didn't want to reach out to any of the older guys because we didn't want to be like, Hey, uh, older guys, you guys want to go get like dinner or something? Mm-hmm. Cause we didn't want them to think like, Oh, we're going out to dinner. Yeah. And like in the eyes of it now, it's like going out to dinner is not even bad, but we didn't want to think that going like that us going out to dinner could be perceived as a bad way. Sure. So it was just like me and him doing our thing. And like you said, like we didn't have those distractions. We didn't have any of those things to 
kind of distract us, but yeah, it could have played a big role in like the way both of us kind of shaped our like rookie years in terms of like focused on playing, focused on the hard work, just like go to training, do your, like get to training, do training, stay after training because as sad as it might seem like right now, at that point, that's all we had mm-hmm. was like just go to training. That was our day. We didn't have anything else unless like we went home and played like Xbox or something like that. Sure. Obviously, along the lines, like as my career developed, I, I find more things to do with my time. But at that time, mm-hmm. I was so young and so like fresh into the scene that those kind of things like it was just like, all right, like I played soccer today. Like now what else can I do to like get better or yeah and i like watch film or something like that uh and then obviously like you would think about it and you just go home and relax you just go home and relax and watch tv or play xbox or put your feet up like something to just kind of like take all the total like off of your body and then obviously as those couple of like first couple of weeks went on then me and spencer like you know we the team starts like including us in on certain things like dinners and that kind of stuff. And Jordan Harvey was like one of the other only American guys on that team at the time. And he took us out to dinner one night with his, with his wife. And that was really nice because then we feel like we, we belong a little bit more than initially we did. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was, it's one of those things where I think it's good. It's good in a way to be out of your comfort zone. Yeah. You know, because when you're out of your comfort zone, you got to like focus on you there's not much else to do besides focus on yourself and kind of that like little grind of um, getting through that. I don't want to say it's that much of a mental game, but at that point it kind of is because you're in a new place with not a lot of people that you know, besides the people that you work with and work with as in play soccer with, but these guys all have family. So those guys don't want to hang out with you, you know, like realistically, it's not like I'm going to call coach, coach Carl Robinson and be like, Hey, Robo, like, <laughs> we have the day off. Want to grab a coffee? Yeah. It's like, no, I don't have anyone to grab a coffee with unless I'm grabbing a coffee, coffee with like Spencer Ritchie, mm-hmm. who I see every day. Right. You know? So it's like one of those things that. It, it's one of those things too, that a lot of people or players don't take into account. I feel like the, the change in environment, that's one of the biggest challenges to adapt to a new environment. Like regardless, if you've seen the city on TV or you've talked to somebody about it to actually live it, is one of those things that could make your could make or break your your professional career like players i find it so interesting that have never left the country or trying to pursue careers overseas let alone a uh, another city in their own country and it's like you have have you ever lived on your own do you know what that's like and now you're trying to earn a spot as a professional at like 17, 18, 19 years old, like the kids that are trying to bypass college. Like, I think that's one of the biggest things in, in college, appreciating, learning to live on your own, maturing, right? And if you don't figure it out in college and then you're trying to go and live on your own, like it's even hard to do that after college when you have that experience and to have a lot of these younger players now trying to pursue professional careers. It's like, have you thought about how challenging it is to live on your own in a in a foreign place whether that's your own country or or a foreign one like that it's it's not an easy thing to do so i just think about yeah. that that often where that that's the one of the biggest determining factors i think to to some player's success on how they adjust to their environment 
Yeah, and uh, obviously I've had this conversation a couple of different times about how I feel versus how other people feel. I'm like, <clears throat> even something as simple as the homegrown front, mm-hmm. right? Like I think homegrowns <clears throat> obviously are great because you can obviously identify talent, sign talent, and now it's young talent that you can bring and develop as they grow. But I also think that like the college path in terms of like growing and maturing and like we said, like the locker room feel, like how you feel walking into that locker room, earning the respect of guys in that locker room, um, goes a long way in player development and personal development. Yeah. And that's why my my argue to some of these clubs, and I, I've said it before, is like I feel like homegrowns excuse me, if you sign a homegrown guy at 17, 18 years old and you know he's not going to play for you for the year. So you loan him to your USL team. Yep. Right? So, like, you loan him down to USL and he plays in Red Bull USL. I feel like you'd be better loaning him to, like, Pittsburgh's USL team. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because if he stays in That's Red Bull's point. USL team, it's like he knows everyone there. Is he out of his comfort zone? No. He's just getting games. It's like babysitting. It's like want, babysitting almost. You want, yeah. You want him to get games, of course, because you want to see the kid develop. But at the same time, imagine if you planted him in like Pittsburgh, <clears throat> you made him grind with like guys he doesn't know, coaches he doesn't know, a place he doesn't know. And that's maybe it's almost a side of me that like wants to weed out some guys. But also, point. you could see some guys seriously grow that way. So I think that's kind of my like, little partial take on like homegrown college all that like meant and do i think it's just the mental side of things of like and the growth side of things of life and people and that's professional that's really well you, you learn a lot of things yeah that's really well said and that's a great thought because the it is a sense of you said like weeding people out and seeing who who can mentally make it because those are the guys that at the end of the day you want to play with not if they've been given this easy path and are pampered and, and taken care of and you know always patted on the back if you throw them into a place where it's like okay earn your spot earn your earn your you know credibility here then it's like you got to hold yourself to to a higher standard and you're not getting cut any slack and, and let off the hook on on little things. So that's a that's a really good point. I didn't even really think about that with with homegrowns and like yeah, sign him to a, a first team deal and then loan him to a place that that may be a fit. If he's a defender, yeah, send him to Pittsburgh. If he's a good attacking player, find a a club that that may be a fit based on the position. That's a that's a really good yeah, thought. If they're it, not going to go to college, right? It's kind of like the European model. It's kind of like the yeah. European model, right? It Where is like he obviously big clubs sign younger players and they loan them out to like a championship club or something like that. But yep. just kind of MLS or the American way would be different. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's really good. Um, you talked about Kendall Watson. I want to talk about Kendall and then Aaron Long and, and your relationships with both of them, both incredible center backs that you've gotten to play alongside. I, I want to talk about important traits to developing a good center back partnership because Oh, I think the the relationship and understanding is is the most important trait and having that like almost uh, sixth sense of, of understanding each other's movements and tendencies where like the uh, like technical ability, physical ability almost comes secondary uh, and tertiary mm-hmm. to those sixth sense and like having that partnership because those are 
those have been two really successful partnerships throughout the league between you and Kendall and then and then you and Aaron. So how have those relationships formed? And, and then talk about the key qualities and, and maybe even differences amongst the relationship with Kendall and then with, with Aaron. Because I think that's important for young defenders to hear and, and putting it into perspective for them. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> just to touch on like any center back relationship or any relationship on the field, you want to have like a common understanding with whoever you're playing with that like there's a certain standard, mm -hmm. right? Whether that's like the standard that you two have set vocally or you've seen it happen before, like you've seen them do something and you're like, no, dude, like that's what I need you to do. Or it's something that like, you know, like you, you see, like you see examples of it and you're like, yo, maybe you didn't do it this time, but I think this is what you should do instead. I think it's obviously just open communication and never taking things to heart. But um, when I played with Kendall in Vancouver, it was a very different relationship than what I have with Aaron right now in New York, because in Vancouver, we played a little bit more of like uh, a transition style, a little bit more sit back, laid back um, clearances. We, we, we were really tough. Like, we, we, we wouldn't mind smashing people. We'd hit, like, you know, we'd get into the forwards. We'd, we'd, we'd try to bully people. Like, you know, I think me and sure. Kendall, we, we made a name for ourselves just trying to bully people, win our headers, be tough in the box. Like, if you were going to score, we were going to make you earn it. We never wanted to give up cheap goals. We weren't, we weren't trying to play pretty out of the back. Me and Kendall were kind of very simple. And whether it was get it to our six, get it to our outside back, or we'd hit a long ball. And I think, me and Kendall both understood the kinds of players we were compared to what we had around us. So it was like me and Kendall were like the last wall of defense. That's what we were there to do. Defend. And at the end of the day, if we had a shutout and maybe we didn't like, if we had a shutout and we scored one goal and me and Kendall didn't have the best game on the ball in our eyes, it was a win. We did our job. That was it. Sure. Um, and obviously, like I said before, me and Kendall, our relationship's still amazing. Like whenever I see the guy, um, it's it's a great kind of relationship that we have. And obviously, when I came to Red Bull, Aaron was the center back here that I was going to be playing with. So we had to kind of develop a relationship very quickly. And it was one that kind of did happen very quick. It was one of those where Aaron, I, I didn't really know Aaron too well at all so I kind of got thrown into the fire with him and we kind of like would do film and stuff together where he'd be like yo this is what you gotta do to learn the Red Bull way this and that and I was like okay like athletically I think like I'm capable of all this um, mentally like it's gonna take me a minute to like get in like really in and like drill this into my brain but you know I think his willingness to help me along when when I was learning that system is something I knew right away that I could trust this guy you know, like if he wants to help me here, then I think I can trust him because it would be very easy for him to just give me the cold shoulder and be like, yeah, dude, go learn this like system. Yeah. Like I've been through it before. Don't put me through this again. Yeah. <laughs> like if, 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 if they think you're good enough to learn the system and like figure it out, then like they'll help you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think Aaron, it, it attested to him a little bit that he was able to help me out and like help me learn the system. And he clearly wanted he clearly wanted to play with me I think even though maybe he won't not he won't admit that today but I think he wanted to play with me so he wanted me to learn the system and he wanted me to thought to play with him so 
And then obviously as it's gone on, me and Aaron hold each other to such a high level of like, this is what you got to do. And it still happens today. If he doesn't do something, I'm on him immediately because I know what he's capable of and what he should be doing. And he's the same way to me. And I think that the honesty on it, um, the honesty of both of us to kind of like own those kind of things is great. And I think that's what attributes to our relationship is just like doing the dirty work, being honest about it, and just like putting your hand up when you know you're wrong. And like, that's how you get done with it. You're obviously at different points in your career when you start with each, but if you were to, to say like the, the bet, like weighing the, the pros and cons, like, you, you know, you have Kendall's qualities and then Aaron's qualities and how it helped you, right. As a player in your early years. And then now as you know, as you're more of a established veteran in the league, six years, or what is that? Six years already in the league. Crazy to yeah. think. We'll talked about that a little I bit know, know. before we started your you're a experienced veteran here. What, um, you know, talk about Kendall's strongest qualities and how that's helped you. And then some of the advice and taking him, taking you under his wing um, to, to help you progress as a player. And then how you and Aaron maybe have helped each other's weaknesses, whether that's him picking up some of the slack on some of your lacking traits and you pick up some of his lacking traits. So you have that balance. Does that make sense? So. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I think <clears throat> to touch on it right away, when I got to Vancouver, obviously Kendall is such like uh, just a big human being. Right. He's, for people that don't know Kendall Lawson, he's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, probably like 220, 225 pounds. And when I first got to Vancouver, he was probably a little bit heavier than that. <laughs> so now when I talk about him, I call him like, if when we play against Vancouver, people are like, dude, Kendall's a big guy. And I'm like, yeah, he's basically just a moving refrigerator. Yeah. Like he's that he's like that big. He's a lineman. But when I first For your terms. Yeah. yeah when, <laughs> when, when, yeah, in my terms, he's a he's a DN. He's yeah. a perfect DN. But uh when I first got to Vancouver, I was like, Wow, this is a big guy. And you know, he's he's a Costa Rican player, so he's from like Central America, South America. Yeah. He's he's a little dirty. He is. And that's like, part of the position though. Knows, I'm sure you've picked that exactly. up even earlier. <laughs> he he knows how to he knows how to like throw a tackle and get a little bit more than he should. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows how to he knows how to like to, in in terms of crosses, he knows how to like be touched tight, like be in the right body position, not only cuz he's big, but he knows how to defend and those kind of things. And I'd say where Kendall's traits lacked was maybe on the more physical side of not not necessarily anything strength-wise, but anything in behind Kendall. He probably struggled with a little bit when I was in Vancouver, and that's where I was able to pick up his slack. Mm -hmm. And obviously, he was able to pick up my slack and just the general knowledge of the game because I was so young. And Even on the ball, I think Kendall understood a little bit better than I did when I was was in Vancouver of how to play, when to play, where to play. And then obviously I was able to look at him physically and be like, okay, this is what Kendall does to win his headers. This is, this is how Kendall gets around guys. This is when Kendall fouls, fouls guys. This is when he decides to like lay a tackle, like whether that's early in a game around half field out wide, like something like that. And that's like something that I'm like, okay, like that's how you do it without not necessarily being dirty, but that's how you can do it without getting a yellow. And then, on the other side, it's like, okay, that's how Kendall got a red. That's how I'm not going to do it. That's part of the gamesmanship, though. Like, that's all part of the, the tactics and, and the flow of the game. So that's important. Exactly. Exactly. 
And then obviously now that I'm at Red Bull, I think me and Aaron both, both physically are very, very fortunate to be gifted with like speed and pace and strength mm-hmm. and agility and one v one ability and that, those kind of things. And then obviously here at Red Bull, I think Aaron is a little bit more technically gifted than I am. And he can obviously play different passes. He's a little bit better with his feet. And it's kind of funny now because now I think I'm more of the Kendall role of mm-hmm. like, fouling guys getting into guys you know because i always i always call aaron the prettier center back because he of just, course nah, he, is. he just is yeah he thinks you know? he's a 10 even even though i have better hair and I, i'm way better looking than him he's just a prettier center back because you know he does the nice things on the ball if he if he kicks someone it's never a yellow card but if i kick yeah. someone it's always a yellow card no it's a red card um, <laughs> yeah or a red card even worse <laughs> But now I'm almost kind of like the enforcer here at Red Bull. And like, it's funny because you hear, like, I'll hear Kaku, or in the past it was like Amir, like Michael Murillo, right? Who would be like, who would just look at me and they'd be like, you're such, like, in their like Spanish accents, they'd just be like, you're so American, you're such a defender. Yeah. And little do they know. Yeah. And little do they know, right? That just makes me like stand up. Yeah. I'm like, damn right. (laughs) But like if you said that to Aaron, Aaron would be like, "I'm not a defender." Yeah, and little you know? so like for me that's like a bonus. And little do they know too, like, oh, you obviously haven't played with Kendall, so like he's if you think I'm you know this hard nosed tough guy, like you you're you're in for it when you you play against Kendall. So yeah, yeah exactly. What? So like I think those are the kind of things that I think it's funny now is like now obviously my role. My role hasn't switched because I think I'm still like evolving as a player, but I definitely see myself more as like the guy that will like take the foul or the guy that will do certain things that maybe not necessarily Aaron won't because Aaron will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I he think will. I've more taken that path than, than yeah. he has. Yeah. Now that that is really well put the way you described that. You answered that uh, beautifully. So. Um, we talked about the, the, the establishing yourself at Vancouver, doing really well. We've talked about Aaron a little bit now and the partnership at Red Bull. Uh, what was that transition like after really establishing yourself at Vancouver? Like I said, you were like the leading minutes guy. And then that following year, you're in a complete new system. Let's talk about the demands of the Red Bull system. Everybody talks about it's so difficult to learn. It's a, it's a transition. It's uh, I guess an eye opener. It's it's a complete change of pace. So, what was that like for you? Who helped you with that transition? Um, and then, obviously, have you obviously been enjoying it because it's been been really successful? Um, so, yeah, the transition. What's what was that? Pers- can you share that perspective for for the listeners? Yeah, so it was um, it was good. You know, I think obviously my time in Vancouver came to it came to an end when I got traded to New York, and I was. <clears throat> obviously thrilled being from Long Island to get traded back to my hometown. I was stoked to be able to come back here and to be able to play in front of my family and friends and just be closer to everyone. Um, but I kind of got like the crash course of, or the crash course of like Red Bull football because Red Bull were about to play their first Champions League game. And I got traded like that week I to remember Red Bull. That. So I yep. met them down in, down in Mexico, sat with like Jesse Marsh, <clears throat> Chris Armas and Aaron and got like, the crash course of like Jesse's laptop slideshow of this is Red Bull football. This is how we're going to do it. This is what you have to do. This is like our tactics, our style, our like our must haves. And I was like, and you sit there and you're like, 
okay, this is kind of crazy, but like <laughs> you either fully buy in right. or you don't. And like for me, I think the best part about it was not just the first game that I played, but I think the fact that uh, me being kind of thrown in to the ring was like my way of learning. It was like, look, this is like, this is what we do. This is who we are. Like, we're going to throw you in the ring and you either like come out and like you last well 13 rounds or you didn't. It's like sink or swim. You either figure it out or you're drowning and then you're getting, you're getting traded again in the following year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's how I looked at it. And I was like, like, all right, man, like I might as well just like buy all the way in and just, just do it. And like, if I mess up, I mess up. Like I'll, I'll own the mistakes, but um, at least do it their way. And obviously it took me a couple of games. It took us, it took me and Alo a couple of games to kind of get used to one another. And like, obviously for me to get to the tactics and stuff, but once we, once we were able to get it, I mean, we, we, in 2018, that's when we had like the best defensive season Red Bull had had in a long time. We went up, we let in like less than a goal a game that year, which was like, as we were coming to the end of that year, was like our goal. We saw that we were like close to that number and we're like, yo, if we can do less than a goal a game, that is a big time stat for us. Like, and obviously we went on to win like supporters shield that right. year and all of, and all of that. But I think, um, it was a crazy year just naturally getting traded, learning the system and just literally, I mean, you're, you're talking, I, I jumped off the high dive head first into that thing. So I think that was, uh, that was a big part of, me being able to learn the system was just being willing to learn. You think it's easier for a center back to to make that transition and learn the ropes or, or more difficult because you then have to know everybody's responsibilities in front of you to help direct them and, you know, put them in proper positions or, or encourage them to, to press or, or move in certain directions or is the load easier for a center back because of, of the, the style of play and the pressing really coming from the front? So I, uh, obviously personal bias here. I would say center back in Red Bull system is like the hardest part, is the hardest uh, position just because <clears throat> we're relied on to organize everything in front of us. Sure. Yeah. And we're relied on to squeeze the space, slide over. Like if, if one guy goes, we all go. So then mm-hmm. like, obviously if I could be on the left side of the field and I have to slide all the way over to the right side and like, we're just demanding a lot on ourselves to kind of cover each other, slide, be aggressive and like, have no faults because at, and at the end of the day a center back obviously you make one mistake and it, it could be a goal right whereas if you make a mistake up the field it's it's a little bit of a different story so I think personal bias I'd say center back in the Red Bull system is obviously one of the most important positions interesting so that's probably a, a harder transition than most players then especially with the the demands um you had a short time with Jesse. You you had a, a good experience with with Carl Robinson. Talk about some of the experiences that you gained from them, and then I maybe you could tie it in. Um, has has there been a more challenging moment in your MLS career than anything that Mazer has put you through at St. John's? You know, is there? He he seemed to ha- he seems to push the buttons of his players to an extreme extent to like like we've said multiple times weed players out like give them you know a mm-hmm. real perspective on things has there been a challenging moment in your career that you know Mazer uh, I guess not that he didn't prepare you for that there was a more challenging moment in your career than anything you experienced with Mazer. 
Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> just to touch on like uh, Carl Robinson in Vancouver, I have like a great relationship with him um, on the field and off the field. You know, I think he was he was big and like <clears throat> um, he was a good like players coach in terms of, like managing players. He'd come in the locker room, he'd see how you're doing, he'd he'd have a laugh with you, a joke with you, he'd sit down with you, eat with you. You know, so I think in terms of what what his experience in Vancouver was with me was I, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I think as, as my first coach in the league for someone to be so engaging and so so willing to help you learn and then also to be the coach on the field, but then also like someone you could talk to off the field was big time for me. I think that also helped to develop my trust in him and his trust in me. And that's why our relationship, I think, kind of continued to grow. Um, Jesse, obviously, I wish I wish I had more time with him. You know, I think um, when I first got to Red Bull, um, he was still the coach and he, he had done so well with Red Bull and things had been going so well for them. So <clears throat> I wanted to continue to learn from him because I remember making this joke when I first got here. He was like a mad scientist, mm -hmm. you know, like so soccer driven. Everything was like tactics, like scouting reports, video. Like he was so like driven on like how we could get better and how we could do that, that he almost, that he didn't hit me as much of a player's coach as maybe Carl Robinson did. Hmm. Right. But I think I respected the fact that he was so driven by like tactics and all these kind of things that, um, that I understood where he's, where he was coming from. And then now obviously with Chris, Chris has taken on from being an assistant coach to now, being the head coach, he went from almost that player's role coach to like the head coach where it's, it's a difficult step. That is, but I yeah. think he's done really well in, in terms of being that guy that like can joke around in the locker room and anyone that knows Chris, he's got like a little quirky, quirky kind of personality to him, which is awesome. And I've known Chris for a long, long time. I known Chris since I was like 16 years old. So, um, to watch him kind of develop into the head coach and to demand more out of players than just what an assistant coach would is, is definitely awesome. Yeah. Um, the way I want, I want you to think about this while I ask you the, the last question, give the uh, listeners a, a NFL draft sleeper pick. Um, well, you can think about that because I know uh, – that's one of your, your big hobbies. But uh, I, I usually wrap up the podcast with the player's most memorable experience or, or eye-opening experience, just something that a player wants to share, a coach wants to share in, in terms of advice or um, something that you think would be valuable <clears throat> for the listeners. I know we didn't really talk much about uh, maybe your high school experience. You also were New York Gatorade uh, State Player of the Year. Um, which is a pretty big achievement based on the state. Like if it was Oklahoma or, or some in North Dakota, <laughs> I wouldn't bring it up. But being the, the hotbed of, of New York and, you know, like I said, the players that have come out of it, it's a, a pretty big achievement. But, yeah, if there's anything else you want to touch on, um, feel free. If not, best advice or, or most memorable moment or both, whatever, whatever you want to do. Yeah, I think um, my best advice that I ever got given was by my assistant coach in college, and it's not it's not crazy advice. It's not too 
hard to understand, but the way he worded it was what hit home with me was, um, like he basically said, he goes, Tim, <clears throat> your bad game has to be a six or a seven. He goes, and your good games have to be an eight or a nine. And then your best game is a 10. He goes this way. If someone who didn't know you came and watched you play and you had a bad game, it's a six or a seven. This way they're like, oh, like his bad game isn't a bad game. Sure. You know, so I don't know if that really makes yeah. sense. No, but that I think does. It does like in terms of, I think it, it it's just like not that your bad games are, I think it's just in terms of, for me, I was just like, okay, so if you see me have a bad game, it's not like I'm giving up goals or I'm doing that. It's like giving the I was ball, still yeah. down defensively. I was... I made a couple mistakes, but it wasn't anything bad to the point of like you were like, "Man, that guy had a nightmare today." I think I think to clarify that and to to put it in a, another perspective for the listeners is you want somebody to come back and watch you play, right? Like if you have a bad game at a, a four or a three or a four, right, rating out of ten, yeah. it's like oh, I'm not going to come back and watch him play. But if that's a bad game at six or a seven. It's like, okay, I'm going to come back. Let's see what a good game is at an 8 or a 9, right? Like, I think that's right. that's well said. Exactly. Yeah. When, if, when it's bad, you don't want it to be bad in a sense. Like, whatever your position is. If you're a center midfielder, a bad game is giving the ball a hand, away a handful of times. If it's a defender, maybe you concede one goal and have a, a sloppy giveaway. But, like, don't have it be, uh, like we talked about, do all the little things that you're good at over and over and over again consistently. Don't try and overdo it which i yeah that's a it's a good way way to put it so yeah um exactly and then i think uh most memorable moment um professionally collegiately i think my my favorite collegiate moment was um winning the big east title for sure my freshman year and then professionally i think um man I think it would have to be the the Canadian Cup that I won my first time in Vancouver. Um, A, it was like one of the first trophies Vancouver had won in a long time, and B, it was my first professional trophy. So um, those that that was like a, a a double a double win for me. And then fortunately, I actually had one of my friends out there to visit during that time. So um, it was kind of like the whole like I had like a trifecta of things there of like. My buddy from home was out visiting. We won a trophy, and the city won a trophy, and like everything kind of played the part there, and everything worked out really well, and we we felt that for sure. And, and a great great night out. Then I'm guessing after it's it's a common theme. It's a common theme with like most memorable moments is a is a team championship. Like a lot of uh, most of the guests haven't like pinpointed like a specific game or a, a goal that was scored it, it's always uh it's always a championship or or some something team related so it's interesting that that you bring that up so yeah um so you got a sleeper pick for for oh this is one thing i usually Ooh. don't do hold on think about it for a second i i have to bring this up since it's it's uh it's just such an impressive rise and i usually don't talk to players about other players and getting you know um a perspective but i think it's it's valuable since you've played with him um and and winning a champions league uh, you know this is what three years ago like 
did you see that coming and and what was that like at, at when he's 16 or 15 16 right at that time alfonso davies uh yeah uh, so just I, i'm just interested because i, I kind of want to tie it together i've spoken to a few other uh actually canadian kid uh that's it's obviously in with the national team so i'm just I'm interested to get the perspective on, like, did you see this coming when you were in Vancouver? What was that, three years ago now? Yeah, so when he first signed, I think he was, like, 15 years old with Vancouver. And he was, I mean, you're talking, like, a kid. Right. And this is one of the things that we talked about, which I want to tie it into it, where you get 15, 16, 17-year-old signing, and it's like, is this really the best, in the best interest for the kid? Like, do you, are you really ready for this? Yeah, and I think, obviously, at 15, we had no idea what he was capable of, right? Like, athletically, he was off the charts. Um, Technically, he wasn't that good yet. Um, He was just, obviously, very fast, very agile. He understood the game a little bit, but needed to know more. And then as my time in Vancouver progressed and he got older, you could see that by my final year in Vancouver, it was all kind of a uh, topic of conversation where we were like, Yo, Fonzie needs to go somewhere where he's training with better players every day. Because if he's training with better players, he's going to get significantly better. And he can, obviously, physically he can hang, and it's just it's just going to elevate him so much if he trains at a higher level every sure. day. So we kind of, like, realized that. But at the same time, I want to say he was probably 17 or 17 or 18 by the time I left. And he was like a senior in high school and this guy was showing up with like a yo-yo to training and like light up shoes. So like, I'm telling, I'm telling people, I'm like, yeah, like everyone asks me now and they're like, yo, how was Fonzie when you were in Vancouver? And I was like, honestly, I'm not surprised if he's probably the same kid, you know, like he was like a literally a kid, like showing up to training with like the fun, like high school things. But like, he was just, he was enjoying it. And we all knew that if he got, if he pushed himself to a certain level that he could push himself to and he got in the right environment, he was going to succeed no matter what. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome to see him obviously succeed and really, really develop and do an incredible player. Have you have you seen anybody else during that time that, that compares like, okay, this kid needs to go to a better environment around better players or else he's going to be stagnant in his growth? Or is this like a real one-off case that you've seen? Uh, I mean, I think he's a one-off case. Obviously, Tyler, Tyler Adams right. at Red Bull sure. um, is a similar case, but everyone kind of knew he was leaving. Mm-hmm. Whereas Alfonso, you kind of, I saw Alfonso's growth more than I saw Tyler's. Yeah. So when I kind of got to Red Bull, I already knew Tyler was planning to go to Europe. Whereas Alfonso, like, his growth was so, like... I want to say it was so rapid because it really was. I mean, you talk about signing at signing at 15 and then winning a Champions League at 19. Yeah. No, I mean that's right. It's just since you're since you're a veteran in the league and have seen a lot. Like I just I'm trying to put it into um, trying to clarify like what they're doing differently than other young players that are 17, 18 you know, maybe even 19 that are in with a first team, right? Because there are a handful of guys both on Vancouver at your, during your time and now at Red Bull that are, what, what, like, what was Alfonso and, and Tyler doing differently than those other 17 and 18-year-olds? 
You have, right. any, you have any thoughts on like what the distinguishing factor was or like yeah I, it seems like uh, man, i don't think tyler is carefree say. right but it seems like alfonso's like carefree go about your business and, and compete hard and see yeah. what happens right based on bringing a yo-yo and light-up shoes to to training yeah i mean that was the thing about alfonso was that he was he was truly carefree um and the aspect of like soccer was just like it was just part of his day it was fun yeah which you know isn't... and then he would do whatever he wanted to do after soccer but um I think them being integrated and whoever scouted them or signed them at such, such a young age into Tyler, for example, the Red Bull Academy, and then Van- sure. Vancouver signing Alfonso at such a young age, they clearly saw the potential for these two guys to kind of grow. So <sighs> I think that whoever scouted these two individuals at that time kind of put them on this path of like, yo, these two guys, they can make it. We have to push them mm-hmm. to get to that level. Yeah. So you think it's more of the environment than the actual individual doing something specifically different than than others? It's the more so the I mean, the upper I'm, management I'm not, staff. I'm not. I'm not positive on that. I yeah. can't. I can't definitely state that because I don't know. Granted, I, I mean, I'm friendly with both of these guys, but well, I'm just um, saying. I wouldn't say. I'm saying yeah. more from like you've seen other young kids come into training like were right. these two doing anything different like in terms of showing up early or interacting with older guys seeking out advice like talking the game or or like with with alfonso's talking to to players in his position to to seek advice or or were they getting out on the field early like working on something or like physical fitness or that other guys at that age are just showing up going to training minding their own business and then leaving yeah, I think definitely the uh, A. I think they both wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. B. Um, both obviously technically and physically like gifted incredibly. So I think that that tied into A them wanting to learn because they knew that if they were able to learn, that their technical and physical ability would obviously carry them a higher step than what everyone else at their age could possibly have done. Sure. Um, so I think those two things then. Um, obviously Tyler was always around the Red Bull facility. Alfonso was always around the White House facility. Hmm. And a lot of the time, I mean, I can speak on Alfonso more than I can for Tyler, but a lot of the time Alfonso was getting like pulled into meetings with a bunch of different people to talk about video, about this, about Fonzie watched this, Fonzie watched that, because we, not that he didn't want to learn because obviously Alfonso wanted to learn. Mm Mm-hmm. But it was one of those things where it was like we you had to get these you had to get him involved in these clips because it was hard for him to just like, you know, just walk off the field and be like, Hey guys, can I watch this clip? Right. You know, yeah. at, at sixteen years old, you're not thinking about video as much. So it was like these guys were like, Fonzie, we need you to learn more. Mm-hmm. So it was like, All right, fine, I'll learn more, I'll soak up everything I can. So he would sit there and watch all these videos of all these guys. And that's how I think he began to learn more. And then obviously, as he got older, he had better relationships with older guys on the team who then could kind of share their experiences. And obviously, whether their experiences were good and bad, he wanted to learn from their experiences and and run with them. Mm -hmm. No, I really appreciate you shedding that that insight. I think that's really valuable to to get your perspective since you got to, to play with both of them. So let's wrap this up. Sleeper pick for your for your NFL draft. Who, who do you got? Let's, 
I want this recorded so like at the end of the season we can go back and and say, look, he, he projected it. He's got the crystal ball. Um, well, not a sleeper pick, but Danny Jones. I'm going to put him top five quarterback this year. Um, what do you have your big board right there that you're know. playing with? You have your big board that you're. No, I wish. I wish. <laughs> it looked like you were looking at um, it. <laughs> my Danny sleeper Jones. pick. Oh man. You started working on your team. You must have now, but did I? Uh, you know what? Sleeper pick: AJ Dillon, Green Bay. Okay, there you go. You there heard you go. it here first. He's a new. He's a new. He's a new sequad, apparently, from what I'm hearing. So okay, there you go. Sleeper pick, Tim. I appreciate this. This has been fun. Good luck the rest of the season, and we'll catch up soon. Absolutely, man. Appreciate it.